Philosophy as a Rite of Rebirth, Chapter 1, Understanding Ancient Philosophy, Part 1, Philosophy and Eternal Wonder. One must be very careful in thinking that Philosophia first appeared with Pythagoras, who visited all the Egyptian priests, acquiring all the wisdom each possessed, according to Iamblichus in De Vita Pythagorica. Simply because he invented this term, according to the ancient Hellenic tradition. For Pythagoras, philosophy, associated with the way of Apollo, consists in a purification, in becoming aware of the divine principles and in assimilation to God. This Pythagorean way of life, bios Pythagoricos, cannot be opposed to sacred rites, because the true and immortal divine nature is achieved not only by means of theoria, or contemplation of the universal principles of harmony, but through praxis, which is both ascesis and therapeia. Pythagoras himself conducted the hieratic rituals behind a veil, but only those who had passed all five-year tests, initiations, and necessary purifications were privileged to see the face of the philosopher, their divine hegemon, their spiritual guide and leader. Thus, with certain subtle reservations, we should accept the claim made by David R. Fiddler. Yet while Pythagoreanism remains closely related to the Orphic thought of the period, the clearly distinguishing factor between the two is that for the Pythagoreans, liberation from the wheel is obtained not through religious rite, but through philosophy, the contemplation of first principles. Here, philosophia is a form of purification, a way to immortality. As others have observed, whereas the Eleusinian mysteries offered a single revelation and Orphism a religious way of life, Pythagoras offered a way of life based on philosophy. However, philosophia, or rather philosophizing, understood in the ancient sense as a special way of life and paideia, as seeking of truth, as modelled on the inner theurgic patterns and cosmic rhythms. It is a grave mistake to regard ritual, talite or ritus, the last word being closely connected with the Vedic concept of rita, the universal order maintained by the constant thea erga, divine works, merely as an external ceremony which injures the Protestant and modern iconoclastic sensibilities. Perhaps the wonder, which, according to the ancients, provokes the birth of philosophy, has nothing arbitrary and spontaneous as understood in the modern liberal sense, because this secondary wonder repeats the primeval cosmogonical order. <clears throat> because the secondary wonder repeats the primeval cosmogonical wonder. In Pharaonic Egypt, the wonder hymned by the eastern bow, the spiritual manifestations of Thoth at the rise or rebirth of the sun, 
reflects the eternal wonder which constitutes the blissful divine self-consciousness at the appearance of the noetic son of Atum Ra, who stems from the abyss of ineffable waters. And this wonder at sunrise is not complete without the wonder at sunset, when the mystery of death is revealed and Anubis leads to the tomb and the inner Osirian temple of alchemical transformation. If human wonder, Thaumatsain, when facing life and death, divine glories and terrestrial miseries, is the true origin of philosophizing, then I think we, could, we should agree with Evangelou that philosophical speculation can go as far back as the appearance of Anthropos. But the related passage from the Theotetos of Plato proves that this wonder is discussed along with the concept of initiation. This sense of wonder is the mark of the philosopher. Philosophy indeed has no other origin, and he was a good genealogist who made Iris, daughter of Thaumas. Then just take a look around and make sure that none of the uninitiated overhears us. I mean by uninitiated, the people who believe that nothing is real save what they can grasp with their hands, and do not admit that actions and processes or anything invisible can count as real. End quote. Plato clearly states that philosophical wonder is wonder raised by things real and invisible, i.e. the forms or noetic realities, and this miraculous philosophical knowledge regarding the ascent to the intelligible realm is not arrived at or learned at random, but constitutes the essence of initiation. In addition to initiation and guides, philosophy requires leisure, understood as a necessary condition for the contemplative life, as long as this leisure does not consist of the regular toil of the liturgic life conducted in the Egyptian temples, nor, by extension, the daily life dictated by pious ascetic attitudes. According to the testimony provided by Aristotle, that philosophy is not a science of production is clear from the history of the earliest philosophers, for it is owing to their wonder that men both now begin at first for it is owing to their wonder that men both now begin, and at first began, to philosophize, and a man who is puzzled and wonders thinks himself ignorant, whence the even the lover of myth is, in a sense, a lover of wisdom, for the myth is composed of wonders. Hence, when all inventions were already established, the sciences which aim neither to give pleasure nor to procure the necessities of life were discovered, and discovered first in the places where men first began to have leisure. That is why the mathematical arts were founded in Egypt, for there the priestly caste was allowed to be at leisure. Those contemporary scholars who have a strong ideological basis, especially when the academic scepticism itself becomes a sort of sinister ideology, a bias based on the modern and postmodern scientific mythology, are condemned to blindness, 
and may quickly dismiss the following claim of Isocrates about Pythagoras. On a first visit to Egypt, he became a student of the religion of the people, and was first to bring to the Greeks all philosophy, and more conspicuously than others, he seriously interested himself in sacrifices and in ceremonial purity. According to Isocrates, the ancient Egyptians who are strong in their piety and in practical wisdom, Oisabea kai phronesis, introduced the practice of philosophy, philosophius ascesin, for the soul, quote, a pursuit which has the power not only to establish laws but also to investigate the nature of the universe, end quote. This perspective shows Pythagoras as merely the uninspired and gifted imitator who played a role of philosophical avatar for the young Hellenic civilization and built up his philosophy on the already firmly established tradition. To assert that philosophy, and it has been and it has many different forms beyond that of discursive Western rationalism, begins with wonder, means to trace it back to the Tep Sepi, the Egyptian first time, to the noetic revelations and the archetypal ancestor of humanity itself. In fact, philosophy deals with just a few essential questions. One, who we are, and two, what we ought to do, in order to improve our being and escape the threat of perdition. Knowledge of our identities and relations to the archetypal realm is not necessarily produced by fluctuating human opinions and fancies. More frequently it is regarded as God-sent from the beyond, revealed from above or from within. It is therefore no wonder that for Arabs and Muslims in general, Adam is the first among prophets. This theme is elaborated and developed by the eminent Andalusian Sufi, Ibn al-Arabi, sometimes called Ibn Aflatun, son of Plato, who regards Adam as the very first principle of reflection and the spirit of the reflected form. For the Sheikh al-Akbar, Adam is equivalent to the archetype of humankind, the principle of the creative process close to the Platonian intellect, nous, or perhaps its image at the level of the universal soul. Adam integrates in himself all cosmic realities and their individual manifestation and all the names of God, and therefore he is an agent of aedetic knowledge. Ibn al-Arabi says, Were it not that the reality permeates all beings as form, in his qualitative form, and were it not for the intelligible realities, no essential determination would be manifest in individual beings. Thus, the dependence of the cosmos on the reality for its existence is an essential factor. You are now acquainted with the wisdom involved in the corporeal formation of Adam, his outer form, as you have become acquainted with the spiritual formation of Adam his inner form, namely that he is the reality, as regards the latter, and that he is creature, as regards the former. You have also learned to know his rank as the all-synthesizing form by which he merits the divine regency.
According to Neoplatonic philosophy, the divine intellect thinks of the totality of the universe of forms to which it itself has given rise. He is the eternal creator and sustainer of all subsequent ontological manifestation. Therefore, at any specific time and any place, one by necessity can glimpse the same truths and construct similar metaphysical doctrines, though expressed in different terms, styles and images. Such perspective provides a firm foundation for the perennial philosophy in its countless outflows. The boundless noetic world, cosmos noetos, consists in complete non-spatiality and contains in itself the principles of any possible wisdom, regardless of their sometimes distorted earthly reflections and historical trajectories. The only problem is that most of the so-called modern thinkers cannot accept the hypothesis of the forms or the divine intellect. According to their presumption, any philosophy that approaches or claims to approach the divine presence, unity or wisdom, ends in the struggle of absolute truths and confronts only its own deadly violence. Positivistic optimism gives promise for salvation through ever-increasing information, sometimes worthless and even harmful for spiritual integrity. In a certain sense, Jacques Derrida may be correct in describing violence as the ideological dominance exercised by metaphysics, in the modern distorted sense of this term, but his own linguistic grammatology exercises a similar, if not greater, violence. With permanent cynicism and laughter, one cannot cope with contradictions which are present at the level of discursive thought. And so eventually, one may depart from philosophy altogether. However, our present task is to analyse ancient ways of thought, which are inseparable from noetic certainty, revelation, and the ascent to the divine.